Incorporating AI into your business can be a delicate balance between speed and intelligence. That's why you might want to consider the Claude 3 family models from Anthropic for your enterprise AI. Haiku is their light and fast model, Opus is their most powerful model capable of high order thinking, and Sonnet is the best combination of both speed and intelligence. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Hi, everyone. From New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, but now with 100% more Ohio pride. Just kidding. What an idiot. This is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher with 100% San Francisco pride, always. And I'm Naima Raza. I'm going to actually go out on a limb and say I understand where DeSantis is coming from about being an Ohioan and a Pennsylvanian because it's kind of ripe for his national strategy. And also... It's like an Italian-American saying they feel more. No, it's like Emily in Paris. Emily is not in Paris. She's on Paris. She's not in Emily Paris. is a Parisian character. No, it's, that's what she, he is Emily <laughs> in Paris of the GOP. That's what he is. Well, it's like an Italian-American saying they feel more Italian than American. No, they don't. It's just, I'm not, I'm Italian-American. My mother is 100% Italian. I don't think we consider ourselves Italian. We're, we're, uh, we're Americans who came from Italy. Oh, you just made a lot of Italians very sad by saying Whatever. that, Carrick. They're not. They're, it, anyway, they're, they're Americans. You're so a San ahead. Franciscan. That's how you yes. identify. Mm-hmm. Are you, how is it being back? I love it. Even though there's an atmospheric river trying to drown me, but otherwise it's fine. Mm. We have to get you some stilts or something. <laughs> okay. You consider it home, right? Yes, I do. I love it here. It speaks to me. The city speaks to me and always has since I moved here in the mid-90s. I grew up on the East Coast, but and I like it there. I like New York. I like Washington, but I love San Francisco. I'm very happy here. Where do you consider home? Uh, I don't know. I grew up everywhere, so I'm a bit of a mutt. I guess home is where my shoes are, Kara. My feet are. (laughs) My shoes are. (laughs) I feel like, you know, I feel at home with people and there are certain places, that communities that feel like home. New York, London feel homish to me because they are full of people who are, you know, trying to make something happen. They're very diverse, very cosmopolitan. So they feel like home to me. Mm -hmm. But anyway, our guest today is someone who's written a little bit about this concept of home and talks about it to us today, yeah. Lawrence Wright. He is the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist behind so many great stories, including Going Clear, mm-hmm. the expose on Scientology, which was a New Yorker article and became a Gibney doc, a book. And he recently, Larry, and Larry Wright recently wrote this New Yorker story on his own hometown of Austin. Yeah, I, I've been a long admirer of him, especially his stuff around 9-11. Um, and he's just a beautiful writer, and he once again does a great job articulating what's happening um, in the state of Texas, which is, you know, becoming very popular among people I've covered, and a lot of people are moving there. There's sort of a push-pull between California and Texas going on. I'm a longtime fan of Larry, too. Actually, when I was out in Austin filming, Richard Linklater recommended his book to me, God Save Texas, which is mm. which helped me make sense of the state I was in mm. and also of the city I was in, uh, in Austin. And I was a little surprised by this article, this New Yorker piece. Why? Because I think that he, it's, there were times where he felt a little like boomery or curmudgeonly when yeah. he talks about the rising rents and the traffic. Like that's the whole yeah. goal of a city, I think, in yeah. some way. Also, Austin's not precisely Texas, is it? Like it's, it's sort of, not. It's not. So, you know, it's like saying Miami's Florida. It's not quite the same thing. 
Yeah. But that was the part I liked is that is the part where he speaks about kind of an invasion of Austin. I think he calls them mm-hmm. exiles coming in. So Elon Musk headquarters, this new town that Elon mm-hmm. is apparently building near Bastrop. Peter Atia, who's like the metformin biohacking doctor, and then Joe Rogan moving there, as well as Barry Weiss starting the heterodox University of Austin. You know some of these characters like mm-hmm. Elon Musk and Joe Lonsdale. Uh, how do you feel about them leaving San Francisco and going to Austin? Don't let the door hit you on the way out. That's what I say. Cities change, then change and morph constantly. I have no problem with cities changing. And so they don't like it here after making all their money and they want lower taxes. You know, go for it, guys. That's what matters to you. Do you think personalities that are oh, this sure. big can reshape a city? I mean, New York's changed 103 times in its history, right? So every every city does that, and every city shifts and and morphs, and sometimes it goes through good periods and bad periods, and that's what's great about a city. It, it yeah. changes, and that's my favorite part of living in cities. Yeah, it's a real living organism, although certain states are trying to quash it, like Florida and Texas. They're passing laws at the state level to make it harder for blue cities within their red states to pass local laws. Good luck. People change. People move. People travel. They can't stop. You can't stop the motion of the ocean, as they say. Did Austin feel weird to you still? Oh, I never liked all those mottos of cities. I, I know they do that there, keep Austin weird, but those seem a little labored to me. All those, I never liked those things, but whatever. What is SF's motto? It, doesn't, it would never say, it just is weird. It, Bring Kara Swisher back. No, it just is weird. It doesn't have to say, keep San Francisco weird. Yeah. It just continues to be weird, and that's what I like about it. I think Austin's not weird. It's just open-minded. It was my experience of it. It was open-minded. Yeah. Anyways, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with the interview with Larry Wright. It was recorded in front of a live audience at the Slack stage at South by Southwest earlier this month. Support for this episode comes from SAS. How is AI affecting how you learn, work, and socialize? And what do you need to know to make responsible use of it as a business leader, worker, and human in the world? Find out when you listen to Pondering AI, a podcast featuring candid conversations with experts from across the AI ecosystem. Pondering AI explores the impact and implications of AI for better and for worse with a diverse group of innovators, advocates, and data scientists. Check out Pondering AI wherever you get your podcasts. We have so much I want to talk about. I, uh, your article, uh, Lawrence wrote a piece in the New Yorker about Austin, um, titled "The Astonishing Transformation of Austin." It, it was it was somewhat scathing, but I want to start with your book, "God Saves Texas." Um, what sets Texas apart from the rest of the United States, and Austin apart from Texas? Well, Texas has always had a sense of itself as being separate from the U.S. And I think part of it is, you know, we were a republic. Uh, so is Vermont. It's not like it's unique mm-hmm. uh, in, in the history of the United States. But this the idea that we were a separate nation at one point is part of the mythology. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Texas has a thing about mythology. Like, cowboys. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole trail drive thing lasted for about 12 years. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, it it continues to... The way everybody's dressed with the jeans and the, you know, you'll see the pearl button dress uh, shirts and stuff like that. All that cowboy lore comes from you know uh, 150 years ago when and when there were cow, you know, cattle drives up to uh, Kansas City. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know of another state that is so soaked in mythology, the oil man, the cowboy, and all that, and uh, in the sense of freedom and so on, it's all mythologized mm-hmm. so deeply, and as part of uh, what attracts people to Texas. Mm-hmm. They're drawn to it. Yeah. Then there's Austin. Um, and Austin really, it's not counter-Texas. Mm-hmm. It's a spin on Texas. And the fact that it is also the capital uh, adds a certain tension uh, because the city, if you drew a line from Washington, where you're living, to San Francisco, where you used to live, everything south of that line Austin is probably the most liberal entity in that whole southern tier of the United States. Inside, the probably the most, well, close to being the most conservative state in the United States. So that that tension is very dynamic. It's an intriguing, but frustrating and full of animosity relationship between the state and the city. At the same time, you have the capital down here Half the guys in the Capitol that are railing against Austin went to UT, and they, you know, they love the city, and that's one of the reasons they're here. So it's it's an interesting uh, spoiled children type of relationship uh, mm-hmm. that we Which have. Which one is spoiled? Both of them. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. So when you think about that, it's it's not unusual to have a very liberal city. It happens in North no. Carolina. There's yeah. Georgia, Atlanta. Right. Um, when you think about what's happening here. You're a transplant yourself. You got, although you're a long time transplant, right? I moved to San Francisco in yeah. 1995 yeah. and I, and I consider myself a San Francisco. My kids, two of my kids were born in well, San Francisco. I grew up in Abilene and Dallas. So, so you're I, a Texan. Yeah. I was born in Oklahoma City, right. but so was a lot of Texans. And what drew you here from those places? I was on the run from Texas when I, um, when I graduated high school in Dallas, I just wanted to get as far away from Texas as I could. And culturally, the most distant place from Dallas is actually not so far away. It's New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So I went to school in New Orleans and then, you know, lived in Egypt and Boston, I, you know, all over the place. But in 1979, I was writing an article for Look Magazine about the 12 men that walked on the moon. And one of them happened to be walking on New Braunfels, which is this little German town south of here. And I flew into Austin, and uh, in New Braunfels, they put me up in this this. Prince Soam in this little B&B, and mm-hmm. uh, I, there was a rascaler. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, Saturday night in the Braunfels, I'll go down and have um, a brat and a beer and mm-hmm. walk around the town square, and that'll be Saturday night in the Braunfels. I went down to the to the rascaler and the restaurant critic for Texas Monthly, Frank Bailey, who's Kay Bailey Hutchinson's younger brother, he was there, and he scotched my plan, so we're, we're going to go on an adventure. And we went out to uh, roadhouses, and there was this one steakhouse where you order steak by the inch. And he <laughs> ordered a three-inch steak, rare. It bled all over the plate. It was one of the most disgusting dinners I ever had. But then we went to a music, this green hall. Yeah. A lot of you have been there, I'm sure. Asleep at the Wheel was playing. A young man named George Strait was opening. Uh-huh. And, you know, just the songs, the music, the food. 
it felt like home. Right. And the, right you, know, you can't substitute home. You know, no, we, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that's great about this is you talk about finding a home. I, I actually do feel that way about San Francisco. Yeah. I remember driving into San Francisco when I moved there to cover the nascent internet companies in the early 90s. And uh, I, I drove right into this um, this Folsom Street Fair, which is all a leather thing. Yeah. And it was hot. It smelled like sweaty leather. And there were all these people that should have been inside in a dark place outside. And I thought, oh, I like this place. I like yeah. this place. It was perfect. And when you moved here, there was an Austin tech influx during one period that then just died. Um, the first one. And there was Dell. And of course, Apple's been here and stuff like that. It's always been present. But one of the things that was part of Austin was this Keep Austin Weird thing. And then the the Fog one with Oat Willie. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that, because that was sort of, a, it was both twee, self-conscious and actually true at the same time. Well, and is that gone? Because that was your period of coming here. Yeah, and there are other cities like Portland aspires to keep itself weird too, and uh, and in some ways is weirder than Austin, I suppose. Yes, indeed. But there's something paradoxical about having somebody tell you to stay weird. Yeah, that's exactly. weird in itself, yeah, right? Yeah, yes, and uh, and I kind of bridle at the idea that this is a commandment for Austin, but mm-hmm. it's. Um, Austin had a funkiness and an attitude. In the, you know, I moved here in 1980. You know, it was about the size of Lexington, Kentucky is mm-hmm. now. And, you know, so it was a small town. If you got on an airplane, you knew somebody on the airplane. And also, if you were flying out of state, you had to fly to Houston or Dallas. And, uh, you know, the tallest building, I was just walking past the Scarborough and the Littlefield building, which are down here. They used to be the tallest buildings west of the Mississippi, Mm -hmm. nine stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, now their building was supposed to be the tallest building in Texas is 80 stories. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's crazy. So what happened to the weird? This doesn't seem weird at all. It seems oh, like every you, I, city. Listen, you're the one that interviews Elon Musk all the time. I gotta uh-huh. say, <laughs> no, no. I think we've taken an advance in weirdness That's now. That's true. That's different. Yeah. That's. I think it's just it's a variation on the weirdness we used to have, but it's not like we're I think, going, I think it's bizarre. Yeah. I would use the word bizarre, not weird, for him. But go ahead. We'll get to him in a minute. Okay. <laughs> well. Uh, also appalling, shameless, and. Racist, probably, maybe misogynistic, homophobic. Go ahead. Sorry. All of those qualities, I think. One of the things that's happening in Austin is that we're attracting different kinds of weirdness, like the University of Austin that is this newly announced thing. Very counter to the extremely liberal Austin culture, which I think is probably healthy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Austin is could use a little dose of, you know, counter wokeness. And, mm-hmm. But the people that seem to be drawn to it are a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. I, I call it the grievance industrial complex and they yeah, do rather I well. Think, and and it's not as if the liberal Austin doesn't have its own set of grievances. So right, right. in terms of, you know, weirdness, a lot of the grievances are uh, a little strange. And, yeah. and then there's a what, what's wrong with what's wrong with growing, for instance? Mm-hmm. You know, I I feel the nostalgia like everybody does. Right. I miss the little town. But on the other hand, look at all the jobs that are being created. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, the, the, there's a lot of excitement about uh, 
what's happening in the so city. Let's talk about what for whom and for what, because you talked about that a lot in the piece. Yeah. Like, who does benefit from that? Um, you've been an Austin romantic, I would say. and yeah. But you wrote in the New Yorker article, my town once celebrated for its laid back weirdness is now turbocharged in a megalopolis being changed by exiles from places like Silicon Valley. And then you said it has the placeless vibe of a TED talk, <laughs> yeah, um, which made me laugh. So what is that? That's not those aren't positive sentiments. No, and I. It's like my wife. I hate her now, kind of thing. You know. <laughs> you know, I'm in a band, and <laughs> uh, the tell them what the name is. Hoodoo. Okay. All right. Sunday night. This Sunday night, five thirty to seven thirty, at at Skylark Lounge. One of the great, one of the last remaining great dives in Austin. This this town used to be flooded with with cheap little places where music, music was being playing and 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 people came because of that when we first moved here you know you if you went out of state and somebody said you know where are you from i said i'm texas and you get a look uh, as everybody who has traveled out of texas and as a texan would understand but where in texas austin oh austin you know, it's forgivable. Yeah. And uh, it, it had this reputation of being cool, whereas it really wasn't cool. It was just extremely relaxed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that Slacker was the name of Rick Linklater's Matthew movie. Matthew McConaughey you know, was in. It captured this kind of absence of tension, you know, just it was... But everybody in the country knew something about Austin, and they what they knew was that it was cool, and it wasn't. And yet it had this PR, which persists to this day. So Austin was seen as being a music city and people came because of the music. Austin was perceived as even before it was really a tech city as being a tech hub and people came and but they were attracted to the image of Austin, which was a, an imaginary place and they made it more like the place that they imagined by coming here, except for the fact that they eradicated all the weirdness, mm -hmm. you know, all the funkiness, the little little places that were so characteristic of Austin that were charming, added a lot to the the sense of intimacy and, and culture creation at the moment, right there, right, then, right. right in front of you. Right. That is largely been eradicated. I think, I think people thought about San Francisco. They thought about there's a lot of cities that that happens to and cities yeah. change and grow. Right. This yeah. is the, this is the way it is. Right. Um, and yours is, you know, you could almost go to any city in America and they're a lot like other cities. Um, you yeah, know, the same there, thing. Don't the same. you feel, Kara, that there's a you know, there is like sentinel cities and Austin is one of those, mm -hmm. you know, but as Austin goes up on the seesaw, there are other places that go down, like, you know, California losing population. It's a little overblown, but go ahead. Yes. And, yeah. and New York has been draining people for, for decades now. It's, there's, there's a lot of dynamic tension Absolutely. in the country. I, I think some of it has to do, you know, a lot of it, it, during the pandemic, a lot of the tech bros moved to Miami was one of their places. Yeah. And I was like, get a boat because uh, someday that's You're not right. going to be there. Um, and then they moved to Austin and they w went, went on more about Miami than they did about Austin, went on and on. And, and sort of one of the things they did was sort of keep kicking San Francisco on their way out. And at one time, two years into it, um, 
they kept talking about San Francisco. And I think I wrote one of them. I said, you know, your girlfriend broke up with you. Stop talking about her. Like they couldn't stop talking about San Francisco and how much better it is where they were because of the deep and abiding insecurity of most of those people. And so, um, and it just persists. So let's talk about what's happened now, because one of the things uh, that's occurred is as these people have moved out, um, and I know most of these people very well, they went on and on about quality of life. And this, and I just thought, you greedy fucks, taxes. That's what they were doing. Yeah. There's not a dollar that you don't want to hang on to that you've got. And I think that was most attractive to all of them. They'd never I, say that. There's no that. question they're tax refugees. Yeah. But I was then, like, move to Monaco. I don't care. Just like, you get- know, a lot of these people that have come, especially from uh, the Bay Area, they they leave with a lot of anger. They do. And uh, I one, one guy... Um, said to me, I thought it was a very candid moment. I said, we could have helped San Francisco. You know, we we could have made a difference, but we didn't. And I hope we don't do that to Austin. Well, they also benefited enormously from being in California, and then they kicked it on the way out and then insulted it at the same time and had his, to go on and on about it. His point was, you know, we the local people didn't benefit. You know, no, we could have turned to, you know, we could have done sponsors, mentoring in high schools. Or, yes, they could. You know, the, all these things that they could have done but didn't do. And the income disparity grew so great. Uh, you know, we're, a lot of the problems in the Bay Area we're facing right here now. That's correct. Yeah. And, you know, people are, you know, a lot of the musicians are moving to Lockhart and so on because they can't afford to be in Austin anymore. Well, one of the issues was they talk, they like to insult the problems, but never, you know, you had a, many years ago, you had Wells Fargo there. It used to be financial things. They contributed to the city and lived in the city. They built these castles in the sky with their kombucha stands on the 10th floor and never came down and then insulted it when, of course, that was a problem, right, and didn't get what they want. It's, it was a complex issue, um, and uh, it was a lot of talking about problems and not solutions, I would yeah. say. Um, I, I had thought about running for mayor. That's why I was like, really, you're going to insult What kept you from doing that? Um, uh, London Breed won, and I, she's a native San Franciscan, and she's doing a good job at a very difficult situation. And I didn't like um, the previous mayor who ended up dying in a safe way, but um, but I didn't like what he was doing with tech people. I thought he was working too closely with them and giving away everything. And so I felt like I could kick them in the teeth a little better than most people. I so bet you could. I bet, yeah. I, I, I bet I do. I bet I do, actually. That's my job. I have to say, San Francisco is better now that they're gone. You're like, yeah. oh, they're gone. Thank, thank you. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Um, people don't realize another person that's from here is Alex Jones. And you talk about it in the piece. Talk about that because that's homegrown. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I first met him, uh, Rick Linklater had a party for one of his movies, and uh, my book about uh, Al-Qaeda, The Looming Tower, had just come out. And uh, so Rick is, has a mischievous side to him, and mm-hmm. uh, he said, Larry, I, I want to introduce you to my friend Alex Jones, oh, who wow. had been in a couple of Rick's movies, cast as a raving maniac in a cab and... Yeah. Uh, And so he introduced me and just sort of sat back and watched what would happen when Alex started talking about 9-11. Yeah. And, you know, I said, well, you're you're totally nuts. You know, that didn't happen. You know, it it wasn't a conspiracy of the CIA to destroy the the World Trade Center. And he unfortunately gave birth to this 9-11 truther stuff. And, you know, they it became a a nightmare whenever I was giving speeches, they would be showing up as if I was a part of the conspiracy. Right. But 
he was really produced by you know this public access TV here, and uh, and he got a show, and he Madeline Murray O'Hare was also one of the, she was the atheist. Uh, yeah, which you wrote a great piece on. Yeah, uh, she was. She sued me. Uh, for using her famousness without her permission, which was a didn't go anywhere. Fortunately, That's how you win in a libel suit, right? I tell you what. Yeah. The, the, so the characters have long been here, like these kind of sort of yeah. larger than life, egomaniacal, largely shameful. Those people that you know. Kind that of was thing. very much the weirdness that we were talking about in Austin. Is you know characterized by, you know, sometimes the weirdness is wicked. And in the case of Alex Jones, I had an interesting conversation with Joe Rogan. Mm -hmm. uh, who lives here. Who lives here. And, and uh, he, I had watched uh, his interview with Alex Jones. And I said it was very intriguing. And he said, what do you think about him? I said, I, I think he's a sociopath. Yeah. He said, no, he's not. He's got a head injury. Yeah. And he said, I was a cage fighter. I met a lot of guys with head injuries. Right. And he said on the show... He asked Alex, have you ever had a head injury? And right. Alex goes, oh, yeah, well, when I was in high school, these kids turned me upside down and banged my head on the curb, broke the concrete. You know, yet no doubt I'm brain damaged. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, well, it would take a cage fighter to ask a question like that. You know, yeah. and so maybe that's his you problem. Lawrence, I don't care how many times it was dropped on his head. He's a it wasn't fucking, enough. He's a fucking <laughs> asshole. And yeah. he doesn't have lots of people. Yeah. Lots of people were dropped on their head yeah. and don't do what they does. Yeah. And I hope they take every dime away from him and he ends his life in yeah. ignominy. We'll be back in a minute. Incorporating AI into your business can be a delicate balance between speed and intelligence. That's why you might want to consider the Claude 3 family models from Anthropic for your enterprise AI. Haiku is their light and fast model, Opus is their most powerful model capable of high order thinking, and Sonnet is the best combination of both speed and intelligence. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You zoomed in on a few characters. Let's do a lightning round about their migration requirements. Linda Avey, who I know very well, 23andMe co-founder, said she fell for the sentiment to keep Austin weird, but also wanted to leave the Bay Area because firefighters, teachers, fabric community couldn't live there anymore. Um, talk about her. I like Linda. Yeah, she's she's a delight. And yeah. one of the people I'm really glad has moved into our community. Uh, partly, she has a grandchild here. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that drew her here. Yeah. And we're birders. Yeah. So uh, Linda's also a birder. So getting she is. Yeah. So that's been fun to get to know her. And she seems to have good sentiments for wanting to be here. She's not sour on something. She just likes it yeah, here. There are, there are a lot of people that are you know, come here with good intentions. And, you know, we're in a period of, let's see. You know. Yeah. Emma Stone, the actress who bought your friend's home, is now completely remodeling it. That's another yeah. thing you talk about, the real estate situation. I looked at the prices here. I thought, wow, it's expensive to live here. I'm so glad I live in the Bay Area. I actually yeah. thought that. Yeah, did you? Yeah. Well, we're headed that direction. And that's another thing that was, you know, this when we moved here, there were, you know, little two-bedroom bungalows. That was pretty much what characterized the housing stock. Mm -hmm. And the people that, you know, the economic 
resources here were the university and the capital. So there were teachers and bureaucrats that, that populated Austin and still, despite that, became weird. Right. And these bring money, but it also remodels places where people can't live. Speaking of yeah. firefighters, teachers yeah. and everybody else. I don't blame Emma Stone for that, but it's that that's the trend. Right. As they start to move it's, in. It's what's the, it's, the neighborhood that they took over that was a former uh, mostly African-American neighborhood. East Austin. Right. Yeah. Uh, African-American and Hispanic. And and. It was African-American and Hispanic because city policy to move them out of the white part of town mm -hmm. and make the, the east side, this is 1928, master plan. And so it created a you know, segregated city. The highway that, in between. That, you know, the interracial highway. Um, and that has haunted Austin's uh, legacy, I think, since then. Mm -hmm. So Joe Rogan, you mentioned, he's, uh, according to the Austin American Statesman, he recently transformed the Ritz into an anti-woke comedy club. They're going to make everything, like, I, they just had woke AI. They're going to make, I'm sure, some sort of pancake is woke. They like to slap that on there. And I as think, I said, you know, the, the grievance the, industrial Austin's complex. a perfect place to come to be anti-woke. Right. Because it is woke-ish. It's not but what woke. does that mean to you? I'd love you to think, you're, you're a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. What does that word mean to you? Because the opposite of woke is asleep. Yeah. Well, I think that the idea of, of wokeness is that certain social rules have been rewritten. Mm -hmm. And there's a tremendous amount of investment in on the part of a lot of the of, of all of America in staying the way we were. Mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to the new rules, although there there is some absurdity. And also, I think as, as a middle age, no, no, I'm longer middle age. As an old white man, uh, I'm glad I had the career I had when I had it. Yeah, uh, it's it's a lot more difficult, and you know, making space for everybody makes it harder for people who had you know the the spotlight. Right. So you know those those kinds of things are changing. And then lastly, uh, there's a, oh, there's a whole bunch of people. Um, Joe Lonsdale, who I know very well, Palantir co-founder, who you yeah. say, quote, typifies the moral complexity of the current culture. Explain to me why that is. Well, Palantir is, you know, probably the thing you would point to the most. And it's, you know, it's a software that's been used to track people. Track people. Yeah. But it's also been what used. What could go wrong? Go but it also has been used very effectively in Ukraine, for yeah. instance. And um just you know, just like your friend Elon Musk put a, put a satellite up and the satellite up to help the Ukrainian war effort. These are tools which can be used, you know, for good or ill. Yeah. How does he typify what's happening now? I, I think Joe, you're speaking of yeah. Joe. Uh, I would agree with the, you. The anti-woke thing is a big part of that. Also, the money to realize his his ambitions. That's the thing that is so unnerving about a lot of our recent immigrants Immigrant. is that they come with a billion dollars and a lot of ideas. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So I, I saved that for last, Elon Musk. Um, are you happy to have him as a neighbor? Maybe he'll he'll move out to the town he's starting. He's apparently starting. I think his own, it's totally characteristic of him from yeah. what I know that he would want his own town. Yeah, I, I call it Pottersville. Um, <laughs> but um, if you watch that movie. So um, would you move there? 
I wouldn't want to leave my neighborhood. I'm very happy no, where I a, am. That's a Thank different you. answer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But what, what do you think about him coming here? Because he's typifying this. You know, of course, he just moved his engineering headquarters back to Palo Alto because yeah. he hates yeah. California. So, yeah, but, right. But, you know, I we live in a country where the government doesn't invent anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it's all up to these, you know, princes of industry mm-hmm. and love them or hate them. That's, you know, they're the people that have their hands on the controls. That's absolutely true. And, you know, I give him credit for making electric cars uh, viable, mm-hmm. and sexy, you know, yeah. and uh, and I give him credit for that stuff in Ukraine. I, with all of the uh, all of the liabilities that come with somebody mm-hmm. like Elon Musk running our culture, uh, there are some good things to it as well. But, you know, the, the main thing that I feel is that you, you don't have any influence right. over how they affect their no, culture. No, they weren't elected. Yeah. They weren't elected. As much as our we have problems with our elected officials, yeah. they weren't actually elected. So what is that going to do? You have someone, the most famous man in the world, one of them, um, who has a lot of opinions. I don't know if you've noticed. A lot of them toxic. Right. Um, sort of is on display every day on Twitter, whether he's defending Scott Adams or... Uh, making fun of women and things like that. What is that going to do to this city, this idea, from your perspective? Is that problematic, the divisiveness, bringing divisiveness without solutions, et cetera? I think we've already got plenty of divisiveness in Texas, uh, and, you know, he adds to it. Uh, You know, the way I end the article is this sense that, you know, I feel myself being increasingly more a resident than a citizen because you know, the absence of influence that ordinary people have. And I think despite your affection for San Francisco, that was part of what happened in San Francisco. Yes, 100%. And, yeah. you know, this is the thing that if you, if people lose a sense of investment in the place they live, then it becomes less like home than right. it had been. Which is your piece is about. And I want to sort of end on that. My producer, Naima, points out the piece reads a little curmudgeonly and boomery at time. Hello, boomer. Yeah. Uh, rents are high. Traffic is bad. To some extent, the city's doing what a city's supposed to do to become a hub to attract young talent. So I want to end on a positive note. How have these changes made Austin better? How do you think it it attracts young people are always an important part of a lifeblood of a city, although I would suggest many different kinds of people are the lifeblood of a city. Talk about what's the good part and what needs to be done here. I'd like you to end on that to make it not weird again, but civil and um, where people of differing opinions can live together. Well, think about what is the purpose of a city? And I think, you know, the city has two real goals, which is, you know, to create opportunity and to create community. I mean, there are other things, I'm sure, but those are the main things. And in terms of creating opportunity, we're doing a wonderful job. Right. And and I I applaud that because I think, you know, jobs are the most important thing. And so in Texas, not just Austin, but the whole state, you know, just job creation central. The community part, we're not doing a good job on. We're we're dividing our community. Texas is sort of, you know, the center of creating the divisive cultural 
project that has become, uh, you know, the politics of our country. And you know, if, if we could do a, if we could do as good a job of taking care of our citizens as we do in terms of creating our, our economy, then we'd be the city on the hill. But we're a long way from that, and and I, you know, that's where I feel despair about uh, the future of Texas because. Texas is going to double by the year 2050, and it'll be the center of American politics in a way that I don't think people in America, and certainly I don't think Texans have taken on how how important that is. Texas has always seen itself as being sort of on the margins, on the outside, and you have to change that and accept the responsibility of correct. being the future of America, and that we that we haven't done. Yeah, one of the things that that they have is, is don't California my Texas. What yeah. I say to them is good luck here, because yeah. with with great success comes great responsibility. Yes, indeed. Well, good luck with these guys. Well, thank you. Good luck. <laughs> thank you, you so much, Kara. I didn't know you fell in love with San Francisco at the Folsom Street Fair, Kara. Well, I liked it. I liked the whole thing. It was disgusting, but I liked it. It is the kink fest. I know, but it was just like, oh, good for these people. They don't care. They obviously don't care. So I like that. It's funny that that's your entry point because it's my exit point from San Francisco. My then boyfriend took me and two friends of mine who were visiting from Turkey. Mm -hmm. uh, he was like, oh, we should check out the Folsom Street Fair. And I was horrified watching a man in a lawn chair doing things I cannot describe, well, but I'll just say he was urinating while other people oh, were whatever. pleasing themselves. I don't, uh, you know what? Good for them. As long as it's not hurting other people, I'm good with it. I hurt me. I'll never unsee that image. I didn't like it much, but I also <laughs> like that people felt they had the freedom to do, to express themselves in various and sundry sexual ways. And I, you know, again, not my scene, but I, I'm good with it. That's why I like San Francisco. Did that feel rare to you in the 90s, like compared to, say, no. New York or something? No. I mean, I came from D.C., which was as uptight as could be. The freak was on the inside in D.C., and they were hiding, and it was making them terrible people. And in San Francisco, all the freaks on the outside, and they're very normal on the inside. That's fair. I liked his point about you can feel like a resident and not a citizen. Like, that hmm. distinction was super interesting, right? Yeah. I think one of the problems with the city is as, when you get there, you think it's yours, mm -hmm. and then when new people get there, you're like, who are these interlopers? And I like interlopers. I like change. I like when things close. It makes me sad. There's a lot of closings of restaurants and stores I, I went to mm -hmm. and brought the kids to, and it's sad. But then I see something new, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, Do you feel a citizen of San Francisco or of D.C.? I, I do. Not D.C. No. Not DC. I feel a citizen of San Francisco. I feel like a citizen of New York. I feel like a citizen of the world. That's so dopey. All right. <laughs> I okay, do. Let's move on then. All right. Okay. You global lady. No, but just, I mean, just generally, I feel like we're all in it together. It's not that different. Oh. I mean, freak oh, on the wow. inside, That's... freak on the outside. We're all freaks. That is not the vibe of our world right that now. That is not the vibe. We're all one big happy family. I don't think that's what's happening in the world at this moment in time. I think the future of America is more like Texas or like California. I'm hoping California. We've always, you know, we got you here, people. We got you here. <laughs> So let's stick with the California dream. Yeah, who 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 would like to do governor of California, Gara? I'm just saying. We, guess who? Guess who? Guess who? Where all the great things have come from in our history, mostly on the whole, California. Don't so. California our podcast, Kara? Yeah, all those amazing Texas things compared to California. Come on, come on. In recent history, lots of California, lots of good from Texas. Name one. Lots of good. From I can name Texas. hundred for California. I'm not going to fight with Texans, but. <laughs> Good barbecue. You do not want to fight with Texans. I'm just saying, for creation and invention, 
it's California, hands down. Hands used to happen down. around D.C. a little it bit. It was not. It was not. It was not. Oh. The space program, sort of. Yeah, but... Houston, sort of. space program, lots of that. Okay, yeah. space program. We can all share a little bear. Carol, be a little, a little share bear. No. Share bear. I want the California dream to keep going on with adjustments. There's been problems here, too. But I think the California dream is about openness and acceptance and um, and tolerance and... Um, and inclusivity, and I, and and that's what makes it such an innovative, profit-making, invention-spewing machine that it's been. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of those words could be true of many places in the world, including my experience of Austin, open. And, yeah, in Austin, yeah. but Texas pushing down on trans people and abortions, and certainly divisiveness uh, in Texas. They're not getting anywhere with that kind of nonsense. Well, I hope you're right that the future of America is more like California than Texas. But I do not know, and I do not want to fight a Texan. No, I love Austin though. I love Austin. Um, want to read us out? Yes. Today's show was produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Christian Castro-Rossell, and Rafaela Seward. Special thanks to the team at the Slack stage at South by Southwest. Aaliyah Jackson engineered this episode. And our theme music is by Trackademics, and it was a thrill to meet you in Austin. If you're already following the show, you get a brand new pair of cowboy boots. If not, don't you want cowboy boots? I don't. In any case, go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Monday with more.